OTB GAA Scale has opened the war definitely with the football pod Where are your power rankings now? The Royal Rumble that's coming our way Hurling pod versus football pod Will, you're a coward Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy People of Galway we love you I don't want to leave the people of Waterford home, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Waterford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love John Belland! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go on hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake, and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. Welcome along to episode four of season two of the Hurling Pod. Tom Morrissey scoring eight points as the All-Ireland Champions Limerick registered their second win of the campaign and first victory on the road against Galway since 2018. Clare hit six goals in a single league match for the first time since 1968 as they bounced back from losing to Limerick to hammer Wexford by 22 points yesterday afternoon. Tipperary returned to Crow Park on Saturday for the first time since the All-Ireland Final in 2019 and they overcame Dublin to remain very much on course for the semi-finals. Davy Fitzgerald labelled his side's performance as average after Waterford's win against Antrim as the day should remain unbeaten. Billy Drennan scored 11 points in Kilkenny's victory at Leash, while Cork maintained their 100% start with a six-point victory against Westmeath at Porky Cueve. Back and at it, Paul Murphy and James Skell. How are you getting on, lads? Very good, lads. Paul, first thing I'm going to pick up on this week, one match on TV all weekend. Now, I'm not, not sure if that was a reflection of the fixtures, given that the football has just come back from a break, understandably they probably want to show quite a few football games. But surely GA Go or the TG Carr player or something could have come into effect here to show a bit more than one match all weekend. Yeah, I was surprised. Like I text, in, text into the WhatsApp there just to ask. Surely I was looking in all the wrong places um, that the games must have been on somewhere else. But yeah, look, maybe, look, James, you were saying it there before we came on, that maybe the quality of games, maybe the broadcasters looked at it before... The week and said i don't know about some of them but uh nevertheless i would have thought you could at least find them somewhere on some sort of a stream but you know it wasn't to be one game and that was it i don't know scale i mean some of the games were entirely forgotten about entirely uh to league sunday's credit there was loads of hurling shown and particularly plenty of the limerick galway game which we'll talk about in detail but uh, it was kind of kilkenny and leash was file missing it was the over to the side <laughs> camera view that we saw in wexford park for the game between claire and wexford so Clearly, hurling was not a priority for the broadcasters this weekend. No, I, I do you know what the broadcasters is one thing, but I, I, you have to look at GEA itself and say, look, you've, you've got the, the the platform there to show more games. Like obviously, RTE and TG Gahar, you know, it's it's their prerogative whether they show one, two, or ten games. But I, I was only saying last week about the the GEA's effort as a whole to promote hurling, and I think the the more you can get hurling out there, the more it gets promoted, and it's just very disappointing to see one one game. Um, Especially if it was involved in Galway getting beaten, but I just think in general, whether not broadcasters, the GA, they have to do more and try and showcase whether it be live or deferred coverage every game. Yeah, um, look again. I say credit to the highlights package. It was a nice little surprise, uh, Paul. When you flicked on last night, I was sure football was going to take precedence because of the amount of live games on at the weekend. Then I flicked on and I saw Jackie Tyrrell and I saw Canning sitting in the studio and I'm thinking, this is a nice little treat for my Sunday. The hurling's <laughs> going to be all well and done by 10.15 and I can still get an early night's sleep. 
Well, that was exactly it. I had exactly the same thought process. Turned it on, Evadne Quillen, and I was looking at the, the two silhouettes in the background. And I said, it's hardly Jackie and Joe Panning, is it? <laughs> no way. In a day, in a weekend where they showed one game, is that Jackie Turtle and Joe Panning? But uh, yeah, it was unreal. It's probably what we all do on the Sunday game uh, of a night, whether we're football or hurling. We roll the dice and we hope that we see our pundits for the first uh, installation of it. But uh, yeah, it's great. Brilliant. But at least you get to watch it, lads. Well, you didn't get to watch it? Mm-hmm. And it's a topic I'm going to cover in the Grinds My Gears letter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a GoFundMe to get scared. Oh, is this going to be is this going to be a personal Grind My Gears because you can't be airing grievances now. Personal grievances. Oh, I have no problem. I've already had <laughs> with my wife below, but she's going to get a few now with regards to her decision-making around the remote. <laughs> well, that tees it up. I mean, there's no point in this uh, dwelling on this and then coming back to it later on. Explain to me, Skell, why you couldn't watch League Sunday last night. Well, so I'm sure I'm not the only person, you know, in the country that has has this issue. Don't be including the rest of us. Go on, but don't include the rest of us. But I said I'm sure I'm not the only person. (laughs) But this feckin' Love Island, right? So I am subjected to Love Island Monday through Saturday, every day, at at nine or quarter past nine. And the one day I want not to watch it is Sunday. But in, in the words of my wife, it's the start of a new week, so we can't miss Love Island. And in fairness, as they say... A happy wife means a happy life. So <laughs> I don't get to watch League Sunday Live. And that's what grinds my gears this week. <laughs> Is this preparation for another series of Gogglebox that you're going to be giving your live no, reactions no, to? It, no, 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 Will. No, Will. I, I, I will say this publicly. There'll be divorce before Gogglebox <laughs> came back into the house. Okay. Simple as that. <laughs> that was work. <laughs> I like, sorry, at least, at, least, at least when I'm talking on this podcast, I'm talking about stuff that I, I suppose I think I know about. But on Gogglebox, like, there's stuff there that just, you know, you're aiming at a different audience and people approaching you in the street talking about stuff that you can't remember you watched and, like, just not for me. Because the show, obviously, it airs each week and mm. there's stuff to put on television, short, short clips, and I can't remember what I saw yesterday. Never mind, you know, what I saw a week or two ago. So that show is not for me. Right, move on. Pull back the curtain here slightly. How does it actually work then? They show you clips and you react to them. So I assume that's how it works. We're on the show. If we see see the finished product, like I think I saw a Christmas one, the episodes where you popped up, they're obviously showing targeted clips then, so they can edit everyone reacting to the same clips. Yeah, like this is this is purely idiotic and naivety on my part. I thought, hands up, I thought they just put plong two cameras in your house for a few weeks, tell you what to watch, and then they pull out. I did not think it was a whole freaking production. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where they bring in four or five people into your house and set up cameras and move the sitting them around and. You know, sorry, sorry, the clips, etc., and then you're supposed to just obviously watch them and react as you as you normally react. But it was it's a full on production, like. Well, it's hard to react normally, isn't it? Because if you know that they're showing you clips and that I don't know they're coming in for however many hours to get reactions to put on TV, yeah, you're probably under pressure to react to everything. Oh yeah, that's the name of the game. Like if I just sat there eating popcorn, sure they wouldn't give a shit. Do you know what I mean? They'd say right, arms folded, you're sacked. <laughs> Which was the first while. Like I was just sitting there going, you know, this program is, is shit. Like I don't. I, what do you want me to say, Joe? And then they actually brought in. We're, we're really spurred to life. They brought in a show probably around week two or week three about tractors, and that got that got me like you know I was looking <laughs> right. I'm in show now. So then slowly but surely there was some farming talk brought into it. Then as the weeks as the weeks went on. But yeah, not again. So anyways, just to summarise, lads. Love Island, the sooner it's over, the better. I'm sick of hearing people about making the connection. <laughs> I, I just have to get rid of it. All I want to watch is a bit of Um Is there long left in Love Island? Because I'll admit, like winter Love Island just doesn't get in my radar at all. I might I go for the summer one. Yeah. Winter's too much. 
I didn't even know it was on. Where, where is that on? Okay, I'm not going to curse, but I'm going to say BS. Your, your missus definitely knew it's on. No, we're actually watching full swing at the moment. 100%. We were watching Joel Damon last night. Great episode. So you're telling me you, you got her to sit down with you and watch full swing? Where it was between full swing or it was between uh, Drive to Survive at the moment, yeah. Oh, Big time. Serious though, yeah. Yeah, the full swing is excellent. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's really... I, uh, you know, I watched the first episode, Paul, and I wasn't yeah. too gone on it, so I haven't hmm. gone back to it yet, but I hear it gets better. There's a good one, Joel Damon, um, and even the second one, I think, is Justin Thomas and Jordan Speeds kind of tips around them. But man, Joel Damon's one is excellent. It's really yeah, good. I, I watched, I, I, sorry to interrupt you, Paul. Go on, yeah. I, I watched it. I, I finished it, the full swing. Yeah. Uh, I was just chatting to, to Joe at the weekend there, and like I'm I'm into Formula One. So I kind of, mm. when I was watching The Drive to Survive, I knew about all the storylines and, and the instance, so I didn't get quite mm. the same kick off it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in the full swing, I thought it was excellent. But yeah, Joe, Joe didn't get the same kick out of full swing because he's really into golf and knew again who won what major, who won what. Yeah, so, yeah. Target audience. Yeah. yeah, I kind of think that might have been the case with Drive to Survive slightly as well because the first couple of series, I I'd fallen out of interest with Formula One a little bit and then I gave it a go, mm. and I couldn't remember the season all that well when I went to watch it. So therefore, the twists and the turns kind of caught me out. But then I got really into it the season that Max Verstappen won his first title. Mm -hmm. So I knew everything about that season before I saw it back on Drive to Survive. Yeah. And in a way, it lost a little bit when I knew exactly yeah. what was going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, on the language, by the way, uh, I got two DMs about your language during the week. And would you believe this, Gal? Both of them were saying, let him swear. <laughs> I'm not going to out these people's names, but just to read it directly here, because I still have the DM open. I've copied it into the show notes. We'll just want to say, Pod is excellent this season. Really enjoyed it last year as well. But let Skehel be loose with his language. It's brilliant to hear a fella talk in the pod the way we all would in the pub, although a bit more coherent and better put together. Jokes aside, brilliant stuff. Can't wait for the rest of the year. Hashtag There's been a free Skehel. Free him. <laughs> no, I, come here. I, would you believe my mother again last night? That's retracted her comments. Forewarned me again. No, she forewarned me again. Don't forget what I said last week. So it's like, <laughs> let the side down. <laughs> no. I, I think the swear counter is on about four and we haven't even started talking about the matches yet but yeah oh sorry um, this, this is the hurling pod sorry yeah <laughs> well look the other the other thing about the pod entirely related i'm sure this all ties together nicely somewhere you got no blowback whatsoever for your comments about football last week despite the why. best attempts of otbam the football yeah. pod other people trying their best to try and go oh, oh, oh the football ads are going to be out for you nobody said anything against you at all do you know why because i'm right, right. <laughs> that's, it. that's it you can't argue with the truth it's not their truth or their, it's just the truth so and I was prepared for it I was actually mentally psyching myself up all week for it after Monday said it was going to be an onslaught of abuse from some lad from Armagh or some lad from Kerry and, and not not a thing because I'm right <laughs> see Paul I knew you'd avoid it but you actually dropped the worst bomb in of all where you put your man's comments in about was it catching, kick pass, fist and pull and drag were the four pull skills drag, in yeah. Gaelic football? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was sure someone was going to conflate that and say, you know what, Paul Murphy said that in the pod last and week. Murph admitted it was Richie Hogan you were talking to. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the angry, the old angry man that I know is always Richie Hogan. Richie Hogan, so, yeah. If ever in doubt. Well, I could have deflected it. I could have said Paul Murphy, Kerry or something like that. If somewhere along the way I skewed the truth. So there's enough Paul Murphys out there. There's only one James Gale. So I can just, <laughs> I can I can deflect where necessary, you know. 
<laughs> well look there's oh, yeah. plenty of that we'll do matters arising later on there's uh, lots of comments talking about the development of hurling a lot of people took it far more serious than this idea of you know what football's only four skills to go off and do whatever the hell you want um, but in the hurling at the weekend let's dive directly into it we may as well go to the, the TV game scale to start with which was uh, Limerick coming out in the end against Galway 24 points to 19 yeah. it's two defeats in a row at home for Galway now having lost to Cork as well but what do you take from that performance? And I'm very mindful before I even ask you that we saw Joe Canning list out half a dozen players that were starting in the All-Ireland semi-final last year that weren't there with Galway, which probably colours any takeaway from this game as well. Yeah, no, he's right to see it. Like, I know a lot of those players did come on, like the Darren Morrissey's, the Conor Whelan's, Brankins, they, they did partake in the game, but then still couldn't influence the result. Um, I'm a bit torn about this game. You know, in the first half, I was going. This, this is potential to be a bit of a a bit of a hammer because even even at that stage, the game hadn't got an awful lot of life. But like there was a couple of things that, like I know I said last week, I'd like to see some new players and see what they're made of. And they threw in a couple of new fellas, and I've seen what they're made of. Um, but ultimately, when you're playing Limerick, like the side of Barry Nash, Kyle Hayes, like call, call it the stand side in the first half, Barry Nash, Kyle Hayes, Willow Donahue, Tom Morrissey, Peter Casey, all that side there got ten points in the first half. And it's just, it was repetitive, you know. It, it, like, there was no action to, to stem the Limerick actions, if you like. And, like, I hate to see the likes of Barry Nash getting the ball because it was quoted on League Sunday um, when I watched it this morning that he uh, he's the best distributor, which I agree with. And so, like, if you're going to target a team like Limerick, you've got to target their best players, especially in a league game whereby you can you know the best players stand out a mile. And that was Nash, and that was that was Kyle Hayes yesterday, and that was Tom Morrissey. So, Gold's performance as a whole was, was disappointing. And, tactically speaking... I think they were not even one step behind. They were two or three steps behind. And just Limerick were far superior. And it was just that they, they showed, Limerick showed an awful lot. They showed tactical awareness. They showed strength. Their tackling was fantastic. The shooting, they, they had like 20, they had 22 shots in the first half alone, which is, again, we, we've, we've come to be accustomed to that. And that's why I can never understand watching teams dropping off Limerick as if not to concede a goal when they shoot the lights out from 60 yards. So I think Galway have a lot to do um, to get up to the level of Limerick, but they showed some some, shine, some signs, should I say, a bit of a tongue twister when they scored six six in a row to get to get back within touching distance. But then it just a bit of a, a loose mind from I, I hate to say his name, but Keenan Fahey, the foul he did on Kyle Hayes on the seventieth minute that that killed a full minute for what the outcome was going to be the same thing. They got a free, killed a minute, put it over the bar. They were within touching distance two points and they went to three but lost a minute in the meantime. So there's just a few things they have to do to uh, to get to sharpen up to Limerick's, Limerick's pace. Yeah, Paul, the goal point, Limerick aren't creating a huge amount of goal chances in the first three games that we've seen so far. Does some of that come down to the way the opposition are playing against them or is this the lack of Galan or is it a bit of both? Yeah, it could be a bit of both. Um, what I think, like something I was looking for in the start of the game yesterday was this thing of of the, op- the opposing team sitting back. And, you know, Limerick don't mind whether you sit back or whether you push up on them um, because they have, a, they have an answer for each. And what I was actually looking at was when would be the first time Limerick would strike a ball from before, let's say, Galway 65 into the full forward line, which mightn't sound like, well, why were you looking for that? So they're like the retention rate, basically, for a team that has the ball in possession. The retention rate for that team when they strike the ball into their own forwards, where it actually favours them, is past the halfway line. So if you strike the ball before the halfway line into the full forward line, the percentages aren't actually with you in that time because the ball will be flying for too long. So Limerick know this. And Limerick generally won't strike the ball from before, let's say, the opposition 65, unless 
the full forward line had acres of space in front of them. And it was the four, I think it was around the 14th minute was the first time they did it. And what they basically did was just absorb Galway sitting back. And then once Limerick had the ball, Galway were flooding onto him, flooding onto him. And Galway were just popping points over in the channels. Like Kyle Hayes had three points. I think it was after 17 minutes, he had three points because they were like, grand, sit back, do what you want. And we'll just start popping balls over. Then Galway went, right, we're going to push up and we're going to hit them. Straight away, Keen Lynch started coming into the game because it was a little bit kind of um, like they were doing a bit disjointed, really. They were pushing up, but it was only in parts and they didn't seem to be communicating. And suddenly now that space came up behind and Galway then started going, or sorry, Limerick in the 14th and 15th minutes started banging balls into Peter Casey and these lads. So the thing is, is that if you think you're going to sit back and just go, right, we'll, we'll, we'll avoid goals. Galway or Limerick will go, fine, that's no problem. But they draw you onto them. They draw you. They make you come out. Um, and they don't need to hit goals. They just don't. Like They're happy enough wearing you down, popping balls over the bar. But I would agree with the point that they they aren't threatening goal either. And that thing of maybe having someone, like if you look at Aidan McCarthy with Clare over the weekend, I know that's been the big example of Clare scoring six goals. But Aidan McCarthy, for example, strikes me as a fella, similar enough to like, like a Shane O'Donnell or a Shane McCallan, that you kind of feel they're going to go for goal when they get the ball. Maybe Limerick are kind of missing something like that when they don't have Galan. So maybe it's something they look at. But they have an abundance of options. And like we said, they're shooting the lights out with points. So they don't have to go for goals, which is really the short answer. They just don't have to do it. Yeah, the positive for Galway scale might well be that third quarter of the game. So Limerick had found themselves eight points up and then in a nine-minute spell, Galway reel off six unanswered points, which brought the game back into the balance. Mm-hmm. Now, Limerick were still able to finish the game strongly and had them kind of at arm's reach towards the end of the game. But do you take a bit of something from that period where Galway looked quite good? I don't know. Like I suppose the, if you're a glass half full man, you would. But mm-hmm. I think the context is everything in this game. Like At, at that stage, the game was, near, was nearly over. Uh, Limerick were bringing on a few subs and the Brown Hegarty don't get me wrong but you can, you got the feeling that Limerick had, had done enough for that game that whatever f- comeback or fight back goal he would produce Limerick would still keep the hand off and they did you know so they got within two points and as you said they just pushed them back out touching touch distance again and to be honest like as a goalie man here like Galway were, were trying to get to fourth fifth gear in order to get those six points Limerick were really cruising in second you know I don't think Limerick even got out of third gear yesterday to, yeah. to be honest and it, mm. that's a stark admission on my, my behalf because like Paul was saying even like from a from a structure perspective it was completely disjointed because you're either you're either attacking together or defending together you can't do kind of uh, halfway between it so like if you're trying to mark space all you mark space if you're trying to push up all you push up and yesterday there was like situations where I saw Kevin Cooney chasing Tom Morrissey for one of his shots and he was a full forward you know and it was like Lynch was popping up with 10 square yards of pace, space excuse me so it was like are, are they dropping off him are they pushing up on him it just it's, it's, there was no cohesion at all in the way they attacked the game so like look you can take a couple of positive points absolutely of course um, you, you'd hoped in the next league, league game or two that we'd start to introduce the, the David Burks and the Dahi Burks and, and try to get it a bit more of a settled team because I know we were talking offline uh, before we came on and the, the first round of the Leinster Championship is the 23rd of April which is, which is a, a short seven weeks so like when you put this into context you're going to have at minimum two more games you know and at maximum four if all goes well but as of right now Galway look like they're only going to have I think two is it so it's not that much preparation time and then in seven weeks how many training sessions are you going to get 20 which is not a huge amount so like you, you can't you can't fix everything in two games in, in 20 sessions so and we've Wexford uh, in our first game so that's not going to be simple at all but yeah look at if you're a glass half full man, you'll say, we got some minutes into guys, we're getting lads back, and yeah, we got six points in, in a row against Limerick. Woohoo. 
Yeah. I, I kind of wonder as well, Paul, when it comes to Galway trying to close the gap on Limerick, they were quite close to them in All-Ireland semi-final last year, but Galway since 2018, the year that Limerick beat them twice in league and in championship, Galway have played five knockout games, which they've lost in the period. Three of them have come against Limerick. So it's clear Limerick have been that bit ahead during that time. I kind of expected a little bit more from Galway. The team selections notwithstanding at the weekend just gone by because they're not going to meet Limerick again until in theory an All-Ireland knockout stages game later in the year because they're not going to meet in the provincial championships. I kind of wondered if Henry was going to let off and have a real cut at them yesterday. Yeah, well, I'd say Henry wanted to have a real cut at them. It's just the players on the pitch weren't, I suppose, able to go toe-to-toe with, Gal- or with Limerick in enough areas on the field. Like, for me, so much of it came down to we just heard an IQ really with Limerick and, and James said it there that they were going in second gear. Like there was times there where I was looking and I was saying it was just so smart and it was basic stuff that Limerick were doing and it might seem that oh, a player was just popping up here by accident or a player popping up there but like any time they got the ball it's like every player just clicked into mode of they knew what they were doing. So like one of the examples was Mike Houlihan won a ball. I think it was at right half back, actually. And he went. He tried to go up the line. And it's almost like Gaelic football. He saw that it was a dead end. You know, he saw there's players ahead of him. No Limerick player. He also saw he was up over against the sideline. Turned around. And I think it was Barry Nash. It could have been another defender. Was behind him waiting for the recycle. Which we don't usually talk about in Hurling. It's more of a football thing. The ball being recycled. But before he got the ball, Barry Nash just took a glance across the pitch. And could see Kyle Hayes was out the far side. Kyle Hayes was already known that... Mike Hulland's going to run down to a cul-de-sac here. He, it's going to recycle. And now Galway are after committing so many players to that side of the pitch, we now have an open channel on the far side. And Limerick just did it seamlessly. They just moved that ball across and it looks like effortless. And it is effortless in many ways because everybody's thinking the same way. You look at the likes of Tom Morrissey's, I think it would have been his first point of eight. He, uh, Barry Nash got the ball, had a little look up and it looked like a crowded area. Found uh, Darrow Donovan. Darrow Donovan popped it off. And you contrast that with, I made a note here, 28 minutes, Sean Nanan got a ball. He got it just ahead of the right half back position on his own 65. Drops. And Jason Flynn, I think it was, was in the middle in the 65, right in the middle on his own, hands up screaming. And Sean Nanan just had the tunnel vision. He just ran ahead, took a shot, hit it wide. He was off balance. And it just showed that, you know, if that was a Limerick player, Limerick player would have looked up who's available. There's the player. Popped it. There would have been a calmness about it. So a lot of it just came down to that. You know, Galway hit so many wides that they probably shouldn't have really had the shot or maybe there was a player in a better position where Limerick just never really looked like they you know, they had a lot more economy when it came to taking shots. But they, shot, do you not think, Murph, as well, so it's, it's, do you think as well, so Galway played with a two-man for forward line for a lot of the game mm. in the first half specifically and how many times did Barry Nash pick up the ball by himself? Oh, yeah. I can't understand why are our lads, if we've got theoretically an extra man out there, let's mm. say beyond, beyond the Limerick 45, why can't we? Why can't we play them? Yeah. Instead of hitting the ball over him into a three-on-two situation versus a full with the full forward line who aren't really renowned for their high ball ability. I'm yeah. Just, like that. That heads up hurling just wasn't present yesterday for a lot of the game for Galway. No, it wasn't. And and likewise, when I was making notes of when Limerick would hit the first ball in, by the time Limerick hit their first ball into the full forward line, Galway had hit five in, and that was five balls from inside their own half they had struck. And I think we can all kind of remember, regardless if we don't remember which player actually went for it. It was this thing of striking it down to the corner and here comes out Barry Nash or here comes Sean Finn or Rich English. And they were just cruising out to the ball. And there was almost a sigh from the Galway crowd because they were like, how isn't there someone out in front? There's someone not out in front because Limerick kept them back there, knew what they were going to do. And like you're saying, James, wherever that spare man for Galway was, 
Galway weren't utilizing it. Instead, they were striking the ball into where that player could have been or should have been. So it was this thing of, okay, well, we're going to have a spare man, but we're not actually going to use him. We're not going to use him as in move the ball through him in the middle yeah. of the field. We're going to strike these lovely balls into the corner forwards who are three on two inside, you know. So yeah. again, yeah, that's and, it. Just and, doesn't make sense. And that, I think I think we we talk about the the power of one person or one player. If you have someone like a David Burke or a Joe Canning in there, Brendan mm. Joe's tired. They will they will be roaring for that ball. Give it to yeah. me in in the fifty yard line if you call it. And then your game plan starts to take effect. So I just I just don't know was there a real real intent or will for the yeah. lads who were out there to, to, to command the ball. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They were yeah. kind of, I, I, I got the feeling yesterday that a lot of the time, if the ball came to me, great. If it didn't come to me, not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, mm. very evident, I thought. Yeah, last thing you want to happen as well, Skell, in those circumstances, because sometimes it was very noticeable, say, like Tom Monaghan was carrying the ball quite a bit. Like, all we were having to either go long, as Paul has mentioned, to try and uh, almost force the agenda by moving the ball quickly forward, or they were running the ball. Yeah. And you're always running that threat when you go into Limerick because they're so good at overturning you. Yeah, and like Tom Mann is excellent actually when freeze, fairness to him. Mm. Some of these players are excellent at, at, I don't know, turning their body into a certain way or hitting a tackle a certain way that they can actually gain a free. And I think Tom got four frees yesterday, um, which resulted in p- p- potentially four points, if you like it. But we kept going forward in the tackle. We kept going forward. And like Limerick are so well trained that when you, when they bottle us up and you keep trying to go forward, that's where they're, they're stopping you. And they're too strong, you see. They're just, they're just too strong. But they're, again, in the same breath, when you bottle a Limerick man up, how does it keep getting the ball away? It's, it's rare to see a Limerick man actually dispossessed when they get bottled up, whereas in contrast, Limerick lads are continuously and constantly bottling up opposition and turning over and turning over and turning over. And look, it's, I think it's a skill. I think it's, it was a major part of, of why they made the breakthrough in 18 and they just kind of perfected it at this stage. But like you mentioned there, Will, about uh, Galway getting knocked out three times by Limerick. So you'd imagine at this stage that we, I suppose we'd know how to take them on and know what their, obviously their strengths are. And then we just didn't materialise yesterday. But again, to Murph's point, there probably is something in that about, you know, it's a league game and Hindley probably didn't go full belt at it, obviously with the team selection. So it's again, we, we repeat it every week. It's hard to know. It's hard to know in the league. Yeah, it again, uh, this risks repeating something from two weeks ago, Murph, but when you consider some of the players now coming back in, so game time has got into the legs of some of those guys who weren't involved in the Clare game. And then you hear John Kiley saying after the game that Dimmer Burns is now back in full training and should be back in the next couple of weeks. There's the hurler of the year coming back in. Their Fitzgibbon players are now entirely focused on senior intercounty. Some of them have been very impressive so far. Like I look at Shane O'Brien has fit in like a glove in that uh, inside corner forward position. And you just start to think that compared to this time last year when we all talked about maybe Limerick being slow starters, they now look like a team who've got more and more options and more weapons than they had even last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nearly for every other team, I would say we've probably mentioned this year that they're looking for a player here, looking for a player there. With Limerick, you're actually looking at them going, come championship, there's probably going to be a household name on the bench. They're so strong. You know, they're being the reality. Because I looked at the team yesterday and I was going, I didn't know what kind of team Limerick had put out, which I kind of laughed at myself afterwards when I thought about that, because I was going, sure, they can't put out a bad team really at this stage, you know, but um, like, you have the likes of Mike Casey and these guys, okay, who are off injured, Declan Hannon, Dearm Burns, you know, Aaron Gilland, there's like, there's there's so many players to come back in, you're kind of saying, where are you going to put them in? Like, I mean, you're not going to put them in, well, not that you're not going to put them in, you can't fit them all into your team. Mm. Um, and every other team then is probably searching for maybe a player here or a player there and we are seeing that pop up like you know we are seeing Cork have finding answers and, and having us put their put their hand up and different teams are showing in different ways but 
Limerick are the outlier really in that you're, if you try and write down Limerick starting 15 for the championship now like a household name off that team will not be starting from the first round or come the Munster final if they're there which they most likely will be you know so it's just it's uh, as Jane, as Kettle always says it's an embarrassment to riches really at the moment yeah. and it doesn't seem like dying off anytime soon but, but it's like it's like Kikini back in the 2000s like there was, there was this always nationally known that the only 15 that would beat Kikini is the second 15 <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean it's like it's like that at the minute Where they, yeah. again they just have so many choices and the thing is in every position yeah. So they have mm. they've they have eight top quality backs, yeah. all star caliber backs, and we know they've nine all star caliber forwards. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's just that they, they have it in abundance. Well, Limerick beat Clare round two. I think we were all a bit disappointed in how Clare hurled, particularly for about 45, 50 minutes of that game. They had a strong finish, but it felt like a pretty limp performance at the Gaelic grounds. They answered the criticism against Wexford yesterday afternoon. 6.25 Clare scored, which is just outrageous stuff, really, uh, to Wexford's 118. Um, no surprise that they've improved when Conlon and Kelly come back into the side. But, Paul, Wexford were the authors of their own downfall. The amount of times they got turned over on their own puckouts, the lack of tackling when Clare were running through them. We can praise Clare here and at the same time probably be quite concerned about where Wexford are at right now. Yeah, it was a, it was an extremely poor performance. Um, I hate to be hard at the team, but it's one of the worst performances I've ever seen anyway of a team. It was just so flat. It was so incredibly flat. Um, and when you contrast it with, okay, we're looking at Galway saying, you know, there was, they could have improved here and there and they were outclassed by Limerick, but there was a real effort made and they were in touch and distance and different things. But, you know, last week I said, I expect Wexford, you know, to maybe in Wexford Park, do what Wexford do and put in a you know, a passionate performance and, okay, it might be polished, but they'll put in a good performance. Just wasn't the case at all, you know. Um, and, you know, there's so many places Dar Egan will be looking at. A lot of lads got their, got chances as well. And you'd be thinking those lads would be chomping at the bit. But when you see some of the goals that went in and, like, you know, for Duggan's goal, I think Peter Duggan just ran straight through the middle. And no, lads kind of came to him, but then followed their men. And Duggan just ran through the middle and went, what's this? And just bang, let her the goal. And, so many instances after a fella lost the ball, there wasn't really an attempt. There was a token effort to go back and, and, and give a tackle. Um, but that's a huge shot for confidence for, for Wexford. I mean, 6 625 is enormous. Um, and I think Darry Egan will be, you know, he'll be seething anyway at that. But, uh, you know, I think you'll see a real intensity now in training from, from, from Darry Egan, you know, behind closed doors. You know, he's going to have to light a fire under these lads because you don't want to be carrying whatever this is into a round robin phase because you're 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 a year to right and be on the wall for it if you do this. But there's nothing to say about this performance. It was absolutely shocking. And look at Claire will be happy. Like I mean, Claire will just go on grand day one, but they won't take a whole lot from it either because they can't say that they just outclassed Wexford. There was nothing there to outclass, you know. So it was, yeah, just really poor performance. Yeah, they still have Cork and Galway to play in this group, but they've gone over 100 points scored now for their first three games, and So much of that damage was done against both Wexford and against Westmead. So if you give Clare any kind of opportunity, they have clearly got the guns to tear you apart if you leave them the opportunity. Yeah, and what they did, like, granted now what I saw of the game was what I saw on the, sun, the, the league Sunday. So, like, we didn't get the full picture of the game, but I'd imagine it was actually worse if you watched it all live. You know, whereas the highlights package gives you a certain indication, but, like, Wexford's um, three things for me one the whole concentration so, so the, the, the play you quoted there Murph about the Peter Duggan goal 
Um, I don't know who was chasing him, but that was just a complete concentration thing. You can see Duggan coming. So don't, you know, don't just yeah. let him through. Like, you know, you can see him. That's the concentration thing. So, they, so Wexford, number one, they weren't tuned at all. Number two, Claire did a full court press the whole time. So they were in sync. And John Hardiman, who's a renowned coach in Galway, would always say to, to us, he said, the bad touch will put you in. So bank on a bad touch happening and attack him. And like Wexford's bad touch yesterday happened over and over and over again. And Claire just, just went in for the kill and resulted in a whole host of scores. And like, does, I was saying to you beforehand, like Claire scored 2-9 in 11 minutes, which is a repeating trait of what we mentioned with the Galway game versus with Wexford, that when the Galway got 10 points in a row, if you remember, we're on about the game management. And like, regardless of what 1-15 to 15 you've out there, regardless if you're missing the Rory Connors, the Leachians, you all do, you do something. You, you, you stop the rot. You do not concede 2-9 in 11 minutes. That's yeah. 11 scores in 11 minutes. Yeah. You know, that's, that is way too much. Like, way too much. So, like, for, from an overall, overall perspective, we can we can highlight incidents and we can highlight bad touches, but that alone, that 2-9-11 minutes is the biggest issue. It's the game management. How, when teams are coming down the track at you, do you stop them for a, for a few minutes? And, like, that's... For, so, for Dar Egan, he lighted fire. He lighted... George, he left a light nuclear bomb on the Zimlas because something has to happen for them to, to wake up and understand when they're in game situations that we have got to stop this situation developing any further than what it is so they have a lot to do but Claire Claire more than well like I thought they'd go down hard like after the, the manner in which they got defeated by Limerick and they did just that they brought in a couple of their, their Colton regulars with Tony Kelly and John Connan and uh, you know they were proved right they were clinical in front of goal they did what they had to do and they came away with two points it's a bit of a recurring theme, Murph, but I'm sure when Clare supporters got the text or looked at the Clare Twitter on Friday night and they see some of those big guns coming back in, you just feel a little bit more reassured about the team selection. And that seems to be the case in a lot of these, that you're really waiting until Friday night at 9 o'clock to see what kind of team is named for this stage of the year to maybe even know how serious teams are about the fixture that they're going into at the weekend. Yeah, exactly. But I think Clare had to view this game as right well... We have to discard what, what happened against Limerick and we do have to put in a performance here. Um, but, you know, you have to give credit to the fact that John Conlon and Tony Kelly was there. Like something we referenced with Limerick and Galway, particularly for Galway, obviously, was that was there a kind of a cohesion? Was there players on the pitch kind of talking to other players, basically saying, reading the game as they're seeing it and then saying, OK, lads, for the next 15 or 10 minutes, lads, hold it back here, sit back, do this, do that, let's use the ball, let's run it, whatever. And I think that's what John Conlon and Tony Kelly bring to it. Now, obviously, Tony Kelly preoccupies the half-back line or the midfield when he's there. He's a threat and it allows uh, other players to come into it. But you know, like some McCarthy there, like again, something I saw with him, even for his goal, OK, granted, the Wexford uh, tackling wasn't great. It's like he was tuned, this ball's going to break and I'm going to be on to it. And as soon as he got in the hand, he was going for goal. There was just this kind of... Um, you know, there was kind of a spring and Clare step about going about the business. They didn't really care what Wexford were bringing to them, but there was a bit of calmness then. The likes of John Conlon, I mean, we saw it, his distribution, the few bits we saw, it, like he, he was looking around, where can I spray this ball and kind of controlling the game that way. So, you know, Clare can be can, can be happy seeing these, obviously they'll be delighted seeing these boys coming back, but it's just amazing the difference that these ads make and, you know, a poor Clare performance two weeks ago uh, now followed by a good performance like you know as in you could see they were doing the right things so I think what Claire will want now from their next game she'll get is to go back into a really good challenge with those players on board now Tony Kelly's and, and uh, Conlon that and go okay what happened against Limerick that, that isn't us we're going to inject a small bit of experience into this now and we should see a bit more of a reaction from the team and like if, if you didn't get a bit more of a reaction the next day, you could be saying you're worried then, but I think Claire are kind of heading the right direction here now to go, right, we will be happy enough come the round-robin phase that we've tested a few lads, a few young lads coming in, 
but we have the bit of experience with the bit of youth here now and we're not in a bad place. Yeah, Scott, when it comes to Aidan McCarthy, uh, we were praising him the last time because he was one of the bright spots coming out of the game at the Gaelic Grounds from a Clare perspective. 12 points that day, he got 110, took over six frees. He's been good on the frees so far in the league. Now, even with Tony Kelly back in the team, McCarthy was still hitting the dead balls at the weekend. And maybe that's the argument uh, for the rest of the year. If McCarthy and Kelly are both operating in the same team, then maybe you keep McCarthy on the freeze. Maybe you keep Tony Kelly as an option in the loose and maybe drop Tony onto them if McCarthy's not feeling it. Yeah. Let Tony hit some of the sidelines. It's given them another option there with the dead ball going into the summer. And like if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's like if it's, don't try and fix it again. Like, don't leave it alone. It's, 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 everything's fine for me because I think if we're talking about the top level free takers, respectfully speaking, I, I, I would put Tony Kelly in there. I don't think he, I don't think you disagree with that one. Like we're talking about the TJs, the Patrick Horgans, you know, etc. But Tony Kelly's liable to miss a couple. Anyone is a course, right? But maybe it might be just a situation whereby a bit of pressure is taken off him, but just let let him roam and do whatever he, wherever he likes. He'll probably still strike the big hundred hundred yard ones, which he's capable of scoring. But like it's just another dimension, you know, having Aiden McCarthy like rattling one ten, regardless of opposition, is is no mean feat, and he just looks to have this level of energy that's very hard to handle because if you look at the balls he got yesterday he was always within in an acre of space and always a few yards ahead of his man which which will tell you he's constantly moving he's constantly moving around because if your man is touch tight it means they're kind of semi-static whereas if you're a, a good degree of separation you're on the move so he provides another dimension and if you consider a forward line where you've got Tony Kelly Shane O'Donnell Peter Duggan Mark Rogers you know McCarthy like you're you're not in bad state at all like so Claire will have a big shout in Munster again this year that's for sure Hmm. Paul, I just want to throw Dara Egan's comments as you have them written down here. So he was speaking on RT after the game. Now, the players who are missing at the moment for Wexford, it's lengthy and some very important players. Dee O'Keefe, Rory O'Connor, Lee Chin, Liam Ryan, Mark Fanning was also missing yesterday. Um, that's half a team and some very, very important players for them over the last half decade or so. He said, quote, some lads have put their hands up, have played consistently over the last few weeks. Other lads came in today and just didn't perform. Unfortunately, the nature of the game is that they mightn't see action now for the rest of the year. They're pretty strong words. Like, it's very hard to roll back from that if you're one of the lads who went in and got a chance yesterday, maybe feels he didn't have the best of games. He's basically been told by his manager, that might be it. You might be cuffing the panel now. Yeah, and I think it's in line with what I was saying earlier, just that, you know, I think Darry Egan will be turning up the heat in, in, in the oven now because, I mean, he did give lots of chances and I don't think they repaid his faith in them by, you know, by the performance. Look, I'll put it this way, I've been in that position before. I think it was 2010, maybe it was. I played a league match in Nolan Park. I marked Alan McCrabb, I was midfield and he heard me out of it. He went on, I think, to win an All-Star that year. Mm. That was my opportunity. I didn't take it. So it's inter-county level. Like, I mean, if you don't take your opportunity... You can't be expecting for loads more opportunities to come your way if in the heat of a league match, well, not say the heat of a league match, but in a league match, which are, you know, important in the time that you're not shown to be taking your chance. What happens, you know, when it comes to Crow Park or when it comes to, you know, a, a, a round robin match in Wexford Park or in Nolan Park or in Parnell Park, wherever, and you have to go out and perform. I mean, you know, you, you can read into it. So, it's, it, I, I did recognise the comments that Dara Egan was making and I did kind of read between the lines of what he was saying. It was as much for the, the rest of us, the neutral, but I think it was for his own lads picking up the paper this morning to go, Jesus, that's that's aimed at me. And I think there has to be a reality behind it, though. That's the unfortunate thing. You know, oftentimes there's a pat on the back, but sometimes there has to be a kick up the arse as well where you go, well, look, lads, opportunity was given. You probably won't see action for the rest of the year. And this is just the reality behind it. So... 
I think it also puts a question under some of those lads will be going, is that me? Is he talking about me? Which isn't a bad place to have players because players now will be going in Tuesday night into training or tonight or whenever it is and going, I have to perform tonight. I have to go out here and give everything. So Darry Egan will probably leave it nice and grey there, let the players read it. And if a player was any way poor yesterday or wasn't sure of their performance, they, if they have any pride in themselves, will be lighting a fire on it in Wexford over the weekend. So I think Darren knows what he's saying there. Um, but in fairness, probably the strongest comments out of any manager over the weekend. Well, does that mean as well, Paul, because you've just spoken about your experience of it coming into a team who are very successful. McCrabb gives you the run around and next thing you're thinking, right, maybe that might be the end of me for this season or whatever else. you got to either show that bit of character to go, right, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to come in and hurl really well the next day. Or it can go the total opposite direction where you lose confidence in yourself. Yeah, you could. Um, and it depends on the player, really. Um, like, again, going back to, to, to that experience, uh, I would have, like, I think that was the second year I would have been dropped from Kilkenny. Like, I played 2009 early on, but it would have remained on the training panel. So a lot of it is character building, but it's also, I suppose, shown to the management to a degree. Kilkenny had, were in the position at that time to, you know, they had a strong panel. And if you weren't hurling well, you could drop you and that's fine. Um, but also, I suppose the management were looking at you that you were coming back again and saying, OK, every player has a bad game here and there, but are you going to take it and go, right, that's just it, I'm not good enough? Or are you going to say, I'm going to be better the next day, I'm going to improve? And that's a characteristic as well that management will be looking for. You know, what will lads do after this performance? Like, even on teams who have been beaten well, I'm sure Skettle will say the same thing as well. Monday morning, you wake up, it's brutal. But what do you do? Like, you know, you, you, you give a little bit of time kind of going, that was brutal, that's terrible, feel sorry for yourself, whatever. But switch it off, get back into training, go at it as hard as you possibly can. Like, that's a characteristic you have to have and you have to just go at it again. So I'm sure they're going to be looking at the lads here now going, OK, this player didn't perform, but geez, he was the first player in the pitch on Tuesday night or, you know, whatever. Or a player might be let loose from the panel, goes back to his club, hurls really well, young player, comes back in next year and you can see they're after improving again. So this is just the natural evolution of a player stepping in and out of a county panel. I know we're getting deep into it, but, you know, after that performance, the right was pretty much on the wall for me. You know, you were going to be dropped and that was it. But what do you do after that? Do you react? So there'll be a lot of that for younger players and it's uh, for, for Wexford particularly. Um, but it comes down to character, really. It just comes down to, look, are you going to take that, that, that? Is that the player you are? Or are you actually just going to go, no, do you know what? That's not me. That was a poor performance. I let the nerves get the better of me. The next day I go out, nerves don't exist. I'm hurling. This is where I want to be. So there'll be a lot of soul searching, I think, for a good few lads um, over the next while. How did you find a scale? Because I think for a goalkeeper, it's probably even slightly different. And yourself and Callan and alternating during your career in the Galway goal. And say if you're a goalkeeper and you make a mistake and you come out with the team, you could particularly feel it's difficult to get back in. Yeah, like I, <clears throat> I have no bones about it. Like I would have had, if I go back to my minor days, there wouldn't have been a care in the world. And it's only when I, we started as a senior team and I suppose there was a bit more pressure with it and it was a bit more... Uh, you know, public, if you, if you like, if you made an error. Um, it, it did get kind of it creeped into my head very early days but I actually had a conversation with Donal Cusack back in 2009 8 was it 8 or 09 to say and just it was a, I actually rang him so I actually asked Christy Connor for his number uh, because I was just kind of replaying things in my head to say minor stuff there and I look back now mm. saying to myself what were you doing like re- replaying that kind of stuff and he just he said to me at the time he said it's tough but you have to be tough with it that phrase mm. that just stuck in my head for for the rest of my career whereby if you made a mistake so what you can't change it keep going and like you say if if let's say I was dropped for a game or I was dropped for a season or whatever let's say in, in terms of Cullum to get the position 
you either blame one or two things. You either blame the management, which is the wrong way, or you look at yourself and say, right, it's something I'm doing. And as 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 you get older and understand things, you always look at yourself. What can I do better? What can I do better? And that was just the relationship that I had with, even with Colin. Like every day, if he beat me out, I was constantly looking within. What can I do? And it's it's tough. It's, it is tough to swallow because you feel like you're going to the best of your ability. You're going to your max. You're flying, going fierce well, and still you don't get picked. That's tricky. But it's just it's part and parcel of being in a high performing environment you know that's and that's it because everyone around you is in a high performing environment too and they're there on merit so it's not as if you're like you're you're guaranteed a spot or you're entitled to, you're entitled to nothing in county hurling so like Dar Egan's comments I know they come across quite heavy you know that's what they can be seen but they're 100% accurate and like they're going to train now tomorrow night and they, there'll be a pep in everybody's step if, if mm. right is right everybody mm. is going to get tuned and primed to get going again because when you suffer a defeat of that manner Murph I don't know did you ever get one of them but I got a couple yeah, of them it, yeah. got a couple of myself the, f- the first thing you want to do is get back at it the last yeah. thing you want to do is run away from it Yeah. if you want yeah. to run away from it you don't belong in a senior country panel and, and a lot of it's scale there for me what you're saying it kind of comes down to what I would have thought during my time anyway is, is is excuses now not to say that players are making excuses but in those times when it's really hard one of the easiest things to do is kind of say oh well sure the ball didn't break my way or a fella shouldn't have given me this pass or whatever but in, in, inevitably it's the players that make the less excuses who kind of go take ownership of everything just even if it's something that maybe wasn't your fault but you say no I could have done something better there that's generally the player that improves by leaps and bounds because if you hide behind excuses, you kind of say it's static and you say it's stagnant because you're not changing anything because it's always someone else's fault. But, for example, like Scale, when you were saying you couldn't get on the team, but if you go like, okay, well, Colin Callan is better in area X and Y. I'm better in Z. I'm better in whatever. But I have to now get better than him here. And I have to get better here. And the, this is the only way you're going to get on a team because management look at who's the best player. But if you keep telling yourself, oh, no, they were hard on me this day or that was only one performance – Unfortunately, you stay where you are. And uh, for, from what I've seen of players, it's not necessarily the best, most talented players that make it. It's the players that are willing to make the less excuses and just go, okay, well, this is where I have to improve. Let's put off everything else until I improve this, I improve that, and I just own everything. Those are kind of the lads who make it. So like, if you take ownership of a performance like that over the weekend for Wexford, you could actually take a huge amount from it. you know, And, and you could learn a lot of lessons from it, bring those forward and you know, it's the only way to do it really. But it's, it's, so, it's so evident too when you see a player, like if you, if you have, like, like that, if you have a player who's making excuses and a player who does the complete opposite, look at the mm. energy. One is an energy sapper. Yeah. The other is an energy provider. Yeah, so yeah. Like if someone who texts me, Aiden, Hart, Aiden Hart's a good friend of mine, he texts me uh, on WhatsApp a screenshot of the programme when we played Kilkenny in the league down 2012 where you bet the living Jays out of us, right? Right. And like, like, I mean, the living Jays is out of his right. And, and uh, I think there's a few lads dropped after that too. But he was one of the lads that got dropped, you know. Right. And like, so he, he was kind of like a sacrificial lamb, you could say, for this performance, you know. But mm-hmm. he got himself back in within three months. And look at the career he went on to have, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a prime case of a lad who said, like, it's, it's me. Do you know what I mean? And he just went after it. So that's him. But then I've seen umpteen amount of lads in Galway who came out of mine and came out of 21 are revered for the performances and scoring, you know, whatever they scored in the minor final, etc. Come into a senior setup, don't quite have their their, their bread buttered, they're challenged, and then they, they don't accept the challenge. And they then they throw the ties over the pram, and ultimately they get pushed aside because they don't grow. So that's that's the biggest part of of uh, a learning for any players that when you when you get set back, do you either go forward or do you look around at everybody else and say it's your fault? 
Mm. And I would imagine as well, Paul, before we finish up on that, there's nothing that Dara Egan would have said in those comments with the microphones in front of him yesterday afternoon that he wasn't going to say in the dressing room anyway. No, absolutely not. I, I'd say whatever he said in the dressing room would have to be 10 times harsher. I, I don't see the benefit of going back into a dressing room here and saying, listen, lads, you know, that's just the day that was in it or whatever. It would be doing him, it'd be doing the team a disservice. Like there's only one, I suppose, or one angle to be to be speaking in that dressing room. And that's, that's, that's absolutely unacceptable. You can't be performing at that. Don't mind being bet by 10 points. 10 points, you can be bet by 10 points handy in a hurling match by, you know, Bursting yourself to go for a ball, but then you know missing the rise or whatever, and you can point to it. But when you look around and just say, "Lads, the application of effort here was not present today." The only thing to do is light a fire under lads. Or <laughs> Skell said, "Light a nuclear bomb under lads." You know, so. I'd say that he's taking Cody. <laughs> I'd say he's the video on as we speak right I'd now. I'd say they were. I'd say, say right. Let's watch this. I'd say they're in Curra Claw. I say it was like saving Private Ryan this morning at about seven o'clock. They were coming in on the beach in Curra Claw, <laughs> crawling on the beach. I don't know, but. Yeah, look, at, I'd say that's maybe what's needed at the moment. Mm. They might be thankful the game wasn't on TV as well, just purely for what happened during it. But uh, Westmead had a similar day in Porky Cueve 2021 when they were in Division 1A before they were relegated and came back up. They conceded 7.27 against Cork that day to 15 points and it was a really demoralising defeat and it was a real kind of soul-searching day when they were beaten that heavily. They put in a very credible performance away from home against Cork yesterday afternoon. Now, Cork did rotate. Understandably, they're giving a few lads a chance and they knew that this was probably going to be the fixture where you could experiment a little bit more. But they got early goals from Shane Kingston and from Barrett and you're thinking, this could run away from Westmead. But it finished up 221 to 21 points. Westmead won the second half by 11 points to 10. That was after Killian Doyle went off injured with 10 minutes to go when he'd been on a hot streak and had scored 13 points during the game. If Westmead are going to have a decent year this year, lads, when it comes to the Leinster Championship or if they're to win the relegation game against either Leash or Antrim, this is a sign of progress that they can give Cork a good rattle and beat Cork in the second half of Porky Cueve. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take it because I, I actually t- I only thought to myself going away the other day after we, we had a, we were ambushed by the question about uh, underrated manager last week and I just thought Joe Fortune. I was like, geez, we never mentioned Joe Fortune. Like, and uh, we were ambushed. We were ambushed. There's a question from <laughs> the listeners. It's not ambushed. Ah, you know, yeah, no, I'm only saying. But uh, didn't have much time to think about it. But like Joe Fortune, like it's hard not to like Westmead. I mean, they're just a team who just puts. Like we we're talking of application of effort again for Wexford. Like when's the last time you haven't seen something out of Westmead where they just go at a team and they just go for it and they try it and they've gotten some big scalps. Be that under twenty one beating Kenny a few years ago or like to draw on Wexford last year and uh, like it's not belittling it by some lads saying it's moral victories and different things but you know like you said I mean they won the second half against Cork and okay Cork had a, didn't maybe have their full team out but nevertheless Westmead went down into Park Cueve and gave it a good rattle um like there's lots of green shoots there for 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 Westmead and and you know any day you go out and Westmead are playing you, you can you know that they're going to go at it, give it a good rattle, it mightn't work out for them, but by God, they're going to die in their shield when they're doing it. So, like, going into a Leinster campaign, we talk about teams, you know, how did they bridge the gap in different things. Westmead are just going at it. They're trying their very best. You know, they certainly need things to help them, you know, to bridge it a little bit further. But in terms of having players there like Tommy Doyle and these lads who are excellent players, having a manager like Joe Fortune who, again, you know, speaks really honestly when he's interviewed as well. He's, he's actually very refreshing to hear interviewed um, and he's very grounded as well. And then they put in performances where, okay, you know, beaten by Cork, but they can take a lot from it and they can, you know, hold their heads high coming out of Parky Cueve. So 
look, I know there's areas certainly they want to improve on and they don't want moral victories. They want to really have a good year and not have every year be a little bit of a moral victory year. But no, they, they certainly have things to look at and go, that's great. We need to improve here. But there's lots of lots of positive stuff coming into a round robin phase. Mm. Just on the underrated managers, and this is an ambush game, just this is a reply to the conversation we had last week, uh, which came in from Mark Tobin on YouTube, who pointed out Ken Hogan has got like a remarkable record as a club manager and yeah, 100% right in that. He's won championships in Offaly, Tipperary, in Leash, and you're going back over a 30-year career. He was uh, managing Burt to Leinster title when he was still playing with Tipperary at the time. So Ken Hogan, a good shout for an underrated manager there. With Laura last, not Laura last year, was it? Was it yeah, like, himself and Brian Carroll were involved Carroll. with Laura last year. So they were trying to get back up and they won the championships. So um, he went back in to help his home club after winning three in a row with St. Rhinus in Offaly just before that. So he has he's that record scale where he, everywhere he goes, he wins. Have his number there, yeah? Like, I can flick it on to you if you need, <laughs> yeah. Is this, is this is what's going to get you over the line in the Galway Championship, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> call me, Ken. Call yeah. me. And like a silk, silk person of a South Zero comes to mind there with you now, Scott. <laughs> Um, all credit, by the way, before we go into 1B as well, you mentioned Colin Callanan already. I was talking to Jason Sampson after Offley's win against Kerry in 2A at the weekend. Credits Callanan's uh, work on the puckouts has been very important with their goalkeepers this year. Says he's a really well, good coach. I taught him everything I know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the way I said I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Division 1B then I'm This is the one that shocked me Skelly. I wasn't on the TV On Saturday night Now maybe look, The broadcasters were probably A little bit stretched Because you had The rugby on around At the same time I think TG Carr Were showing URC And they were showing Ladies football Across Saturday as well But I was sure It would have made sense If the TV cameras there Show us Dublin Against Tipperary Both these teams Have been going pretty well This year uh, The game wasn't on telly though but the one thing I took away from this was having a look at some of the stats afterwards. Tipperary scoring efficiency, really, really good. I know you talk about 60% being a very good kind of expected rate for shots. 74% Tipperary had at Crow Park on Saturday. Yeah, like the highest rate of efficiency came from Limerick in, in not last championship, the year before, for 72%. Mm. That's shooting the lights out. So like we, we mentioned the amount of shots that they get off, 50 shots, 70%. It's a lot of points. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very hard to, to get off. But Limerick... Uh, get themselves in fantastic positions to shoot. Tipperary are doing the same thing at the moment. They just seem to be getting themselves into good positions whereby they're soaking up all the pressure in the middle, dispersing out the shooters and, and scoring efficiency. If you can shoot more often than not under the least amount of pressure possible, it obviously increases your chances dramatically. If you have, in contrast, the likes of, um, I don't know, more field-bank touchdowns of Donald Burke shooting from his back up, like shooting over his shoulder, like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's fabulous to see, right? But it just goes to show that the, the level, the level of difficulty Donal Burke shoots under is probably an eight out of ten most times, not you know. Mm. And he's he's doing some great shooting. But if you're looking at Tipperary's points yesterday, the level of difficulty for some most of their shots was a five or a six. So that just brings up their efficiency massively. And look, they're, they're, they're absolutely fabulous stickmen as well. It's sure it's a it's a historical thing in Tipperary where you got great stickmen. And now they've got like good size, which was mentioned last, last night. They've got ferocious athletes. They look really fit. I don't know. Is it a trait in Liam Cass's teams? Is it just me being? I don't know. They're like hypnotized by the way, the way Waterford were last year. They were so fish, so lean, so fast in the league campaign. Tipperary looked look that way at the minute. They looked to have like oodles of energy, if you like. And sure, if you've got lads moving moving in all directions, all angles, shots are going to come off. So they just they, they seem that they obviously are. I won't say they seem they are a much improved unit than this time last year, and they're going to be a dangerous animal to meet. That's for sure. Mm, that's the thing, Murph. They're trying to meld things together here to a certain extent. So. Second half, you get to see some of the very experienced players like McGrath, Callan, and 
and Bonner coming off the bench, which is like a great option to be able to have. And at the same time, there's lads that Liam Cal has worked with before who he's bringing into the team. And even lads who might play a little bit specialist, like Alan Tynan, we talked about him a few weeks ago, like such a strong association with rugby through Ross Gray and with Munster and underage with Ireland. And now he's back in playing a very similar role to how he played underage when he was coached by Cal before, where he's going to get up and down the field and he's going to carry the ball for them. And they're going to make good ball for the likes of Kyo and Jason Ford, who are enjoying themselves with the type of opportunities that are actually um, being brought up by their team right now. But I look at that Tipperary team, I see physicality, I see pace. I see a very different injection to the team to what we saw with Tip last year. Yeah, absolutely. And something that I've seen with Tip from uh, the game against Kilkenny and the Dublin game and exactly what, what Skettle said there is just how efficient they are. But also how they just seem to have a very clear mind at the moment. Liam Cal seems to be a very definitive person in that. Now, I'm guessing all this from the outside. I've never worked with the man. But his teams play with clarity of mind. They just know what they want to do. They don't mess around with the ball. And... Like, if you look at when Kilkenny played Tip, or yeah, in the park, what we spoke about was Kilkenny were a little bit unsure. They tried to work the ball one too many times and was, ah, it just seemed all a little bit, a bit of a struggle at times. So that happened. That's fine. But Tipperary, as soon as they got the ball, they took the steps, drove through, popped it over the bar, reset. Very simple. That's, we saw that again against Dublin. You know, again, Dublin tried to move the ball around. Like, Jason Ford got a point, dispossessed the fella straight away onto it, took his steps looked up, straightened over the bar, reset. So they seem to be just very clear in their minds what their job is and what Skettle said there as well. You know, Dublin seemed to be taking shots from the channels and we were talking about last night in the WhatsApp. Mm. Like, they'll, lovely when they go over and one of the games you'll have, all them ones will go over and they all count and it's brilliant. But you'll have another day where you'll be hitting them wide and completely deflates the team. Whereas if you bring that ball into the centre and you, f- you figure out how do you move the ball into the centre, um, well then you're, you're setting up really well Tipperary seem to know what they're doing at the moment the only place like, and it's it's great you know I think they're really maximising everything they have and credit to Liam Cal that he knows where he wants to play players he's finding that balance with, with the experienced lads bringing him in off the, the bench but also making the younger lads you know stake a claim for a place the only thing I was just looking at Tipperary uh, and not to be putting doomsday on them by any means as a Kilkenny man but when it gets into the round robin, you know, will they have the depth in the bench to come on when they're playing week on week and really going hard at it with your Cork and your Limerick and Waterford and you potentially touch wood they don't, but you might pick up an injury here and there. That's the one area I'd worry for Tip just at the moment that maybe it could be a little bit too soon that unfortunately the injuries that came on for them like three last week, that's, you know, that's going to be a tough one for them to manage. But at the moment they're performing really well, Scoring really well, like as seventy four percent scoring percentage is, is is phenomenal. So I think Tipperary people will be delighted anyway because they are now looking at a team that's very exciting, that really refreshed, and potentially now going into a round robin phase. There's no team going to fancy playing Tipperary because they kind of have their pump up now and 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 they're going well. They're moving really well. Yeah, yeah. Scala, how concerned would Dublin supporters be about on the one hand, as you already mentioned, Donald Burke? put over wonderful highlight scores last night. Like If you turn on the Sunday game, he's popping them over from 50 metres out, 60 metres out. Oftentimes when he was in traffic, he would just get a little bit of space, pop them over from either side. Really, really impressive. He scores 15 points of their 24. But on the other hand, as we go later into the year, while it's great to be able to see these fantastic scores, and similarly against Antrim, Dublin were popping over scores from all over the place. They're not creating the type of chances that Tipperary were during the game. There was a stark contrast between the two approaches and attack. 
Yeah, like if you have an over-dependency on one player, which what was, it seems that way with Donald Brook. Now, over-dependency is probably a small bit harsh, but do you know what I'm trying to trying to bring out? Um, and that player less theoretically gets marshaled or has an off day. You know, what's your plan B? You know, and like from, if you ask about the supporters getting getting concerned, concern, yeah, if you're, if you're taking on Tipperary every day of the week and taking on, you know, the, the Olympics and these teams, just, just concern because you, you're going to have to have a, a multitude of game plans to take them down. But just doubling from a creation perspective, a game plan perspective, you know, uh, I just it's hard to see. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's hard to kind of get a read on them, what, what they're trying to produce at the minute um, to, to kind of utilise, not just Donald Burke, Utilize Sutcliffe, utilize Sullivan's. You know what way are they trying to play with bowling? Is it a pace game? Is it a possession game? Is it a long direct game? Is it route one? Is it you know what I mean? Shooting from distance. It's hard for me to get a read on them. You know, so I, I but I again we mentioned here last week they probably they are this team in terms of you know, their, their, their relationship with Michal is in its infancy. So there will be ups and downs. There will be alterations. There'll be changes. There'll be different types of systems put into play. So I'm not overly concerned. I. Concern for me always comes in year two, to be honest. Year one is, is a betting in period. It's getting relationships established and it's getting to know each other and getting, I suppose, Michal's thoughts onto the pitch, etc. And then seeing can the, can the guys that he has uh, um, kind of, I suppose, display what he's thinking, you know. So I don't think concern is a, big, is a big one. I just think they're not going to be at the top table to challenge. And like it goes back to what we said a couple of weeks ago. What's a successful season for them? Getting out of Leinster is success for me. I can see them winning Leinster. I can see them getting past the quarterfinal. But if they get out of Leinster, uh, that'll be obviously A, a competitive season and B, improvement on the year previous. Hmm. Murph, when it comes to this, Sarah Donovan was saying no to BM this morning. She still reckons Dublin are ahead of Wexford. And as a result, they will finish third in Leinster. We kind of thought that a few weeks ago, particularly after the Waterford game. Do you still think Dublin are third best in Leinster? Uh, I think the jury's out at this stage on that one. If I was, I'd say Wexford, to be honest, at the moment, um, once they get their players back. You know, once they, Wexford have, you know, your Liam Ryans, your Matthew O'Hanlons and all these lads back, your Lee Chins, Rory O'Connor. They have so many players come back there, like, and we haven't seen the influence of Rory O'Connor these lads yet, like, you know, so... Uh, no, but at the moment, yeah, maybe this weekend you could say Dublin are a third in Leinster. But I think once all things become equal and we get into the round robin phase, again, we have to see what, what Wexford are going to come back with. But I don't see anything from Dublin yet to say, yeah, if they if they met Wexford in Leinster semi final or whatever, that, you know, that Wexford won't beat them, you know. So it's they, Dublin have to do a nice bit more now to really show, actually, hold on here, you know, you're really threatening at the moment. They've, they, like we've said, they've, they've shown some positive parts. Um, I wouldn't have them as third in Leinster at the moment, no. I'll stick with you, Paul, for this, because I was thinking about Anthony Nash's comments. So Anthony Nash has been doing a piece for us and off the ball every Friday evening ahead of the games in their hurling league, and um, he'll be chatting to us through the championship as well. And he was talking about Brian O'Mara, who he's been coaching with UL. And conventional theories seem to be with Brian O'Mara that the half-back line was his best position. And Nash was asked whether him going in at three and Michael Breen going back out to the half-back line was maybe Tipperary's plan for the year that O'Mara would be full-back. And Nash was talking about the fact that no one really plays with a conventional full-back around the square for the best part anymore because pretty much every team now plays with two inside forwards and a withdrawn player. It's very rare that you actually have a target man in around the square anymore. And he reckoned that O'Mara could be quite good in that role because at times he'll get dragged out by the guy that he's marking. He might be playing as a second cornerback. He could well almost be playing as a halfback if the guy he's down to mark comes out the field. How do you reckon O'Mara is set for that? And how different is playing in a full back line now compared to maybe 10 years ago, where in a way it probably is two cornerbacks that now play back there? Yeah, um, first of all, I think he's 
I think he's really well suited for it because what you need now is you need a player, first of all, who is very fast, is going to win a foot race. Because if you think you're going to be winning a foot race against, you know, Connor Whelan, you need to be physical enough to, to outmuscle him if that's such a thing. Or, you know, Seamus Flanagan or any of these players, you're going to have to be fast enough to go toe to toe with them. And, you know, it's going to be a 40 meter, no, 30 meter race, maybe out to a ball. When you get there, you have to have the hurling to win a 50 50, get the ball, and then have the hurling to move it out of that position safely. I think he's well suited for that. Um, in terms of the, the comments uh, about kind of having, I think what, what he said it was like having basically they're all cornerbacks now. Yeah, I understand what he's saying. Like, there is no the traditional thing of a fullback sitting there on the 14. Kind of in my head, the last fella is nearly um, Dahi Burke up in Galway, you know, picturing him catching these big balls that seem to land down on top of them. You know, you see Hugh Lawler at the moment. Can he still still have, the, you know, balls landed down on top of him? But I'd agree at the moment, the way it's gone, and it's gone that way for good good few years now, all players come into the middle and they're inside in the 16-yard box and they're all moving around all solely with the purpose of trying to lose the fullbacks. And what the fullbacks are doing and Limerick again, of course, being the best example for it, they're all just standing on the outside and letting the full forwards run around in the middle. And they're like, you do what you want, but we're not getting in the mix. If the ball goes to the left, Barry Nash is going. If the ball goes to the right, Sean Finn is running. If the ball comes down the middle, you know, Mike Casey or Richie English is coming. It's different before, let's say, when I started, you were in right cornerback, you stood in that position as you see it in the programme, and you attack in a straight line out at the ball. That's, that is gone. There's no point in saying anything different. Occasionally, you may see players doing it, but, you know, he is right. Anthony Nash is right. You know, whether that's you have three cornerbacks now or the three fullbacks, it's a hard thing to say. It's nearly turning into a case of their running backs, if you want to say like American football, because... You've seen numerous examples of lads from cornerback, fullback, taking off on runs up the line and ended up going up, popping the ball over the bar. You know, you think of Darren Morrissey against Wexford. He ended up with a 14-yard line against Wexford, popping the ball over the bar. Barry Nash at the weekend won a ball at cornerback, popped it, and he was running. And he was the one consistent feature running out of the back line. You think of Mikey Butler, Lauren Bell's first time I mentioned Mikey Butler this year now, but... You know, you think of him last year against Galway. He found himself up on the far D following Cahill Mannion because that's the job. Your traditional concept, to give you a long-winded answer of, is it a fullback or three cornerbacks you have now? You have players in that position who are calm on the ball, but also are not afraid to go out the field when required to move the ball out or to follow their man. So did this the traditional thing of having your cornerback and your fullback is pretty much gone at this stage. Mm. I thought it was interesting. I was listening to uh, Liam Sheedy speaking on Dalo's podcast earlier as well, Paul, and he said that maybe the versatility is a temporary strength here, that maybe they don't have to commit to who is going to be wearing the number three jersey right now because he was making the point that in 2019 they had injuries and they had to move Ronan Mara back a little bit. Right now Ronan Mara has been used as a number six, but he's saying there's no reason that Ronan Mara couldn't go to three or if Breen is getting some experience, they couldn't play him slightly further back rather than playing him wing back. And he reckons because of Brian O'Mara's versatility, he could play at seven or six either. So they now have three players that can probably play in multiple positions within that unit. Exactly, yeah. And when we were asking the question of um, Mickey Breen that, you know, starting a full back, the reason I was saying was because most likely Liam Cahill looked at him and said, he's has unbelievable running and serious pace that maybe he could do that role of 
ball lands in there, he pops a pass or takes a pass off a player and is now able to do this kind of truck and trailer thing of running out, popping a hand pass, continuing his run. So I think it's like it's nearly like having a Swiss Army knife there for Liam Cal. He's looking going, well, what do I need in that position here today? And also you kind of have the thing of before, if you talked 20 years ago and you were talking about putting a player the caliber of, let's say, Ken McGrath in full back, you're saying, Jesus, he is far too much hurting for full back. We need him out around the centre back. Players now are roaming so far out that even if you play a player like that full back, they're going to find themselves on the ball further out the pitch if that's if that's the way your team is set up. So like if you put Ronan Maher in a full back, you're not going to lose any of the benefits of having him come and running out. You know, he's still going to be involved in play most likely around the 45 and different things. So the dynamic there of, okay, well, if I put player X in at full back, he's just going to be doing a man-marking job. That's kind of gone, you know. So they can decide any given day and I think Liam Cal will feel it out going what do I need today in that position? Do I need a fella to nullify someone and have a good physicality? Well, okay, maybe Mickey Breen is a good fella for that. Or potentially, you know, look at O'Mara because he's afraid, right, I need a fella with savage hurling here, is calm on the ball. Do you know what? O'Mara might be the right lad here to go on Galan because the potential is that you want to get isolated. So I think that's what Liam Cal is looking at. As you said, Will, he has plenty of options and I don't think we'll see a set pullback for Tipperary, even though it's an important thing to do, we may not see a set pullback for them through the round robin. And Scal, a final one on tip, because uh, Sean Flynn from GA Insight sent me this uh, graphic, which I flicked into the WhatsApp after we had recorded last Monday. So unfortunately, it was a few minutes after we recorded, but he was pointing out what Tipperary had done against Kilkenny. Now, it wasn't quite uh, Clare turning over Wexford for 3-9 on their puck out last weekend, but the stat he has thrown up is that in Championship in 2021, Tipperary played three Championship games. They scored 1-4 from the opposition puck out. They played four games in 2022, 1-8 across that. So 7 and 11 points respectively across those seven games. Against Kilkenny, just before the break, they scored 1-6 in one game at Nolan Park. Maybe that's the clearest indicator of what Tipperary are doing now compared to the previous year. Yeah, it, it, it's and it's it's savage intent. Um, so obviously they've got chemistry and what they're trying to do in in doing a collective turnover. And like I would always equate a team when you're losing your own puck out or you can't gain possession off your own puck out and the ball keeps coming back at you, it's the equivalent to a scrum constantly going backwards in rugby. It's very, very hard to get a front foot. It's very hard to get a, a foot in the game at all. There's consistent pressure. There's there's you know, there's forced errors if you like. And like one six off off the Kenny team, that's that's not simple to do. That just shows that they're 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 obviously pushed up, they're working hard, um, they're turning over Kikini, they're denying them primary position on the puck out, they're making it secondary at best, getting it to the ground, creating rooks, etc., and then build from there. And like the team we've seen over the last number of years who've mastered that is obviously Limerick. Like because the Limerick I know this is puck out based will, but Limerick mm. again were or turnover based so if you, if you the way their forwards used to kind of ravage a cornerback if you got a sharp puck out or ravage an opposition's puck out uh, was, was the way of creating opportunity for themselves that's why they didn't mind shooting that's why they don't mind taking 50 shots a game because they're the way they were able to turn over opposition puck outs was so strong it was like okay we can give you the ball but we're going to take it back off you, you know? and I'd say Cahill I'd imagine he's probably looked at that in Tipperary's and said right we have the players who could do this as well so Shoot, 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 and efficiency rate is fabulous, and we'll turn you over and, and, and take more shots. You know, it's just it's 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 a part of today's game. You know, just like we're saying about the foot, the traditional fullback is essentially gone. This this is 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 is, uh, is used as you have to be able to attack every element of the opposition, attack their puck out, attack all their set pieces, attack their big players, all with them and turn them over and uh, make an advantage for yourself.
Mm. Tipperary currently sitting top of the league. Shane McGrath made the point uh, last week, I think in his column on the RT Sport website, that he thought the five best teams in the country were all from Munster right now. The defence of his comments would be, well, look, again, let's fight about this again. Sorry, repeat that one more time. I thought I I heard that. He did his power rankings effectively, and he said the top five teams are the five Munster teams minus Kerry right now. That must have been Saturday night at two o'clock in the morning. Well, look, <laughs> they're, they're occupying the top three positions in 1A and the top two in 1B right now. So I'm sure uh, McGraw off the back of last weekend is saying, hey, maybe I wasn't so far out. But we'll see where they're at after the next round of games. Um, because, Paul, Waterford eventually shrugged off Antrim at home on yesterday afternoon at Farrah Field. Uh, it wasn't easily done, though, because they won in the end 122 to 17 points. But at halftime... Antrim, despite playing the last 12 minutes of the half a man short after Owen Campbell was shown a straight red, led by 11 points to 9. The teams were level with 10 minutes to go. And then we saw on League Sunday last night that there was the penalty which was awarded and Jared Walsh stands up and Sean O'Brien for the second year in a row saves a penalty against Antrim for Waterford. That was with two minutes to go that could have put Antrim ahead. And in the end, it was a couple of scores from Ozzie Gleeson which saw them over the line in the end. Uh, Davy said it was an average performance from the team afterwards. I saw some people saying it was a disappointing performance from Waterford. The only bad thing for Antrim would be, Paul, that they've been close now to getting results in their first three games, Dublin especially and this one, and they just haven't quite got over the line when they've pushed teams close. Yeah, you know, it is disappointing um, because it it changes dramatically the outlook of their year. If they got two, two results there, that's enormous. Particularly Waterford, you know, on their own territory as well would have been huge, but... Again, it comes down to those small things just when you're f- finishing and closing out the game, like a penalty there. Again, it was great save, you know. Mm. Um, but I think Skettle might have an argument there about the height of it and where he was placing it as well, you know, which far be, it for, far be it for <laughs> me as a cornerback to say where he placed a penalty. But um, yeah, look, again, it's this story for, for Hantrum where they're just scratching their head going, you know, we're so close, but we're, it, it doesn't, you know, there's no points in the board. We can't be pointing to a board saying we're flying it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'd be looking at Watford saying, like, Watford seem to be kind of creating their own problems really at the moment. Um, again, like Dublin, fierce scrappy, ma- scrappy match down below in Fratter Field. Okay, Dublin put it up for them, but Watford could have kicked on early in that game and really, I suppose, you know, been out of sight of Dublin. Leash again last weekend, you know, um, Leash caused them serious problems, didn't cause Kenny any problems this weekend. And again, you know, at Antrim, okay, Antrim put in spirited performance, but Antrim down to 14 men after 14 or 15 minutes, you know, uh, and being up at half time again, you know, you're kind of saying like there's a few indicators here that Waterford certainly aren't closing out games, um, and they're leaving teams in it. And a few scores towards the end puts it loss on it, and they get over the line, and people forget about it. But I don't know. I wouldn't be fully convinced by it. And it is right by Davy, average performance. Um, but Antrim could have came away with something here, absolutely. And I think they'll be kicking themselves that they didn't. The big journey down from Antrim down to Fraher Field. Not an easy place to play either. Small enough pitch and usually a big win coming in off the post there as well. So um, they would have loved to come down and, and, and take a big victory there and maybe cause a few problems for Waterford. But look, it's just still not to be for Antrim. Yeah, Skell, the test is going to be the new home of Waterford Hurling for this summer. They get a run out with Hurlis against Tipperary the next day. This is going to be a step up for them, Tip and Kilkenny in their last two games before the championship because <clears throat> I, the expectation would have been that they would accumulate their points in Division 1B this year with those first three fixtures, Dublin at home, Leash away, and then Antrim at home. They would have been expected yeah. to have started well, but two proper tests come up for them now. Like they're expected, to be honest, they're expected to get six out of six here, weren't they? Yeah. And they haven't got it. And I, just as Murph was talking, I'm asking myself the question, is it a system thing with Waterford or is it a general sharpness thing? 
you know, I, I can't put my finger on it. Like, is it, is the system the system I say in vertical commas holding them back, or is it just at the be? Is there excessive training? Is it just lack of sharpness? Like, I can't. One would all, would always kind of stand out to you. Like, you'd always know, okay, it's the system, or you'd always know it's general sharpness. You know, whereas waterfall, I just can't tell at the moment. And I think when when the summer comes, like their first test is going to be a serious test for Limerick. I think getting out of their home grounds actually suits them. Would you believe? I don't think they're 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 suited to like what what seems to be tight confines of pitches. So you think of like Dungarvan for having they all Walsh Park, they all seem to be tight, uh, small dimension pitches. I think when they get out of there and get into the Torlises or the Porky Queeves or whatever, it actually suits, suits them because they're 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 much more of a free ranging team. I don't think they're a team that like. Not once they like, but that that go physical confrontation first. You know they have the hurdles to go around you and and to go through you. To be honest, but I think that they need space. They need an expansive game to to really thrive. Um, but again, we're talking about seven weeks coming down the tracks. Like you'd expect six hours, six hours from Waterford. You'd expect that they would have put in your good performances to put these three teams away. They haven't really to date. They've two stern tests to come, and then Limerick in seven weeks. So they've they've a lot to do. Like and. The, like, I won't say soul searching. That's, that's mm. probably wrong when you, when you consider what we're after saying about Wexford. But they probably have to do a bit of uh, internal analysis too on why they're not really kicking on. And it is average the minute. Like average won't do it in your chip. It certainly won't. And like you'd, you'd wonder what effect will a, two potential losses against those two teams have moving forward into the championship? Because there's a week's there's a week's break now, isn't there? Yeah. There's a week's break. So like when you consider the week's break and the two games, that's three weeks. Then you're left with one month. Until the uh, until the final game, so or until the, the championship game, so you know it's it's uh, it's not all rosy at the moment. <laughs> mm. Well, we'll talk maybe a little bit in a, a while about the breaks. I don't know why it seems to be mapped entirely. Maybe someone wants to watch the Six Nations in the football side of things in the GA. They went, let's put the hurling on all the Six Nations weekends. But um, Kilkenny Murph came through comfortably enough in the end against Leash at thirty four points to one eighteen. A lot of the good work was done in the first half with the wins. They were leading by twenty one points to seven at half time. Again, Drennan is getting his chance and he scored eight frees, 11 points in all. He's been scoring very freely during the league. Uh, captain for this year, Owen Cody, coming back into the team. So slowly, the lads are getting reintroduced back in. And Kilkenny is supposed to be happy enough. That'll be job done, really, against Leash for them. Yeah, look, they didn't um, let Leash draw them into a tight, cagey game where there was going to be a bit of nerves coming down the home straight. I think it was really, if you look at the 15th minute, I think it was, to the 25th minute, Kilkenny got seven points. Um, and that really created a gap which Kilkenny just didn't relinquish or didn't even seem like they were going to relinquish either. Um, I, I thought this would be a tricky game for Kilkenny because, you know, I, I really liked the look of uh, Leash the previous week against against Waterford. But if you, if you look at the likes, I think Ryan Milani, I think he only popped up at a point in, in around the 65th minute or so, whereas he was running riot against Waterford the previous week, you know. So Kilkenny's system was working well. Um, again, Billy Drennan popping up with 11 points. Um, they had a few different sports from different places popping up as well. So Kilkenny were happy, you know, they were comfortable all throughout the game, steady the ship again against uh, or again after the Tipperary game, which I don't think there was too many concerns after really. But uh, nevertheless, the introduction again of the likes of Owen Cody and seeing the Valley Hale lads come back is obviously huge, you know. And it also puts a bit of pressure on the last few games, the few lads who maybe are thinking, this is my chance to grab a jersey. Well, now I'm seeing Balahale lads coming back into the dressing room. I really need to start putting the hand up now if I'm going to. The likes of Billy Drennan is putting the hand up. So Kilkenny will be happy after this weekend. And I think they'll be really looking forward to the last two challenges because, you know, they'll want... Kilkenny want a good few games at the moment, particularly with new management, just to go, right, we're fairly sure of where we're heading here now. 
Um, we do have things to work on, but there are lads putting the hand up, which is great. Um, but no, it was it was a comprehensive win for Kilkenny. And uh, yeah, look, Leash would have liked to pose more of a challenge, but just wasn't to be on the day. Yeah, so that's where we're going to leave this week's edition of the Hurling Pod. The good news is there will be a bonus pod on the Hurling Pod feed, wherever you pick up your podcasts, which will be out tomorrow morning from 10 a.m. And that's going to feature all of the matters arising which came from your correspondence across the YouTube, the Instagram and from Twitter DMs over the last week. So the lads are going to be answering all of those questions and the points raised from last week's pod. That'll be available on the Hurling Pod feed tomorrow morning from 10am. Speak to you next week.